Yep, the Alabama Crimson Tide just continue to roll. <laughs> it's funny to me how these games always end up in these outcomes. And one of the most unappreciated things in, in, in sports, coaching, coaching. What a game. Georgia up 14, Alabama losing their quarterback. And against everything, Jalen Hurts becomes a hero. The Alabama Crimson Tide, yet again, another unbeaten season. Locked up the number one seed in the college football playoffs. Looking for Nick Saban's seventh national championship in Tuscaloosa. And we welcome you guys again back inside of our broadcast booth here. Your host Sebi here on the Sebi's Podcast Show. Whether you're listening on air or online, Sebi's podcast is wherever you go. Whether you're streaming online or here on our audio here. And we have a lot to talk about. We'll go ahead and recap week 13 action in the NFL. And give our list. Yes, I'll go ahead and give my list of MVP races and candidates now. And then after that, we'll go ahead and talk about the college football top four. Did the committee get it right between the debate of Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Georgia? And then after that, go ahead and talk about the firing of Mike McCarthy and Kareem Hunt. But it's all coming up here in Sebi's podcast. And welcome back here to the Sebi Podcast Show here, live here on WNSC Radio. Don't say I didn't tell you. <laughs> Don't say I didn't tell you. In my weekly pickums for the week, I had the LA Chargers going to Heinz Field and Pittsburgh winning that game. And boy, I already knew that the Chargers were already good. I learned a lot more than I knew. Without Melvin Gordon without arguably their best player in the team besides Phillip Rivers on offense at least the LA Chargers march into Heinz Field and what a comeback I mean this is a team that got down 13 zip they didn't bow their heads they didn't, they weren't phased, they weren't rattled by the moment on Sunday night football under the bright lights. They understood that playing in Pittsburgh can be overwhelming to teams. That didn't phase them. They're, they've been doing what they've done all year long. A team punched them early, they punched back late. And at halftime, with the score 23 to 7, Antonio Brown having over a hundred yards receiving at halftime. If you had told me that the Chargers was going to come back and win? I'd probably question your judgment on that. Oh boy, was I wrong. Philip Rivers. You know, what a guy. Philip Rivers, 
later on in the show, we'll give my MVP race pickums there. But just, you know, not to be surprising to you guys, he is well in this MVP race. And, and, it's got, and he's got more than a puncher's chance to win this. Philip Rivers, what he did last night, under duress, under pressure, with linemen like Casey Hayward, Hampton, draped all over them, taking the hit for the team, delivering strikes, and I mean strikes, to the receivers. Unbelievable. And Keenan Allen. This guy is phenomenal. You know, he... He's not your flashy or your flashy receiver like your Michael Thomas, your Julio's, Odell's, your uh, Antonio Browns. But man, is he effective. Keenan Allen catches any object thrown to him. Last night, 11 receptions for over 100 yards plus and a touchdown, including a two-point conversion. Keenan Allen is not only, you know, Throughout the years, it used to be Antonio Gates as River's security blanket. He's River's security blanket and number one receiver. And I think, you know, you saw that when Rivers trusted him in that third down to convert to the first down so the Chargers could run out the clock and eventually kick that game-winning field goal. When you look at the LA Chargers, all three phases, they can run the football with Melvin Ingram. Although he's out, I believe they'll come back. Eckler did a very good job last night, as well as a great pass catcher for what Phillip Rivers and Anthony Lynn as a coach want to do on offense. Defensively, Bosa's back. Bosa, Ingram, perhaps the best defensive end combo in the NFL. They can get home with just four and then in a the back end. I've been saying it all along. My defensive rookie of the year, no disrespect to Denzel Ward. Or Darius Leonard out of Indianapolis. Derwin James, I believe, will be a transcendent safety for the Chargers at that position. You saw what he could do last night. From sideline to sidelines, they can match him up with corners, uh, with uh, receivers. They can match him up with tight ends. You, you saw where Big Ben Roethlisberger throwing off his back foot, heaves it up, trying to hit... Um, the tight end and Jesse James on a crossing pattern and another one in Vance McDonald and Derwin James held his own against both of them. I think he has the ceiling to become one of those Earl Thomas, one of those Jamal Adams transcendent type of safeties in this game. And then Casey Hayward with others. Look. They're good on offense. They're good on defense. They're good on special teams. There are not a lot of holes in that LA Chargers team. And if there was any moment for Phillip Rivers, 39-year-old Phillip Rivers, to have a moment, maybe this is his time. Coming from that 2004 draft class, Eli Manning has two rings. Granted, he'd had a defense. Big Ben Roethlisberger has two rings. Will this be the year that Philip Rivers finally breaks through? Winning an MVP. Having his team ultimately go to the Super Bowl. Because Brett Favre said it first earlier on this week. Perhaps Philip Rivers is the most 
underappreciated quarterback, perhaps ever. You know, he does a lot for his team. And one thing I've seen notice in this Chargers team, they're not asking them to do a lot. They want to run the football. They want to play smash mouth football and then stay in third and medium, having him to throw. That doesn't mean that Philip Rivers can't throw the ball for 50 times. But what they want to do, they want to create an identity and create a recipe to win. That's running the football, whether that be with Gordon, whether that be with Eckler or Brown, who averaged four yards a carry last night. And then after that, third and medium, hit guys like Williams, hit guys like Keenan Allen, perhaps Antonio Gates, although he's fading throughout the last couple feet of his career. And Phillip Rivers, what a moment. What a moment. And if there's any time that the Chargers can bless this man with the surrounding pieces, maybe, and just maybe, this might be the Chargers' breakthrough for a Super Bowl run. And now we head to the NFC, the Dallas Cowboys. You know, the Dallas Cowboys, you know, they... they well, they're in which, what I like to call the NFC least. The NFC least. Got the Giants. You don't know what to think about them. Stars everywhere, especially on offense. Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham. Eli's not the same. You know, you, you had the Washington Redskins at 6-2 with Alex Smith. Alex Smith goes down. Poor guy. Torn ACL. Now... The Washington Redskins are in dismantled. They're six and five. Well, six and six. They lost tonight. And of course, the defending champion in the Philadelphia Eagles. But the Dallas Cowboys hold their own destiny. They did something that I thought couldn't be done. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I still remember. In the 2007 Super Bowl when the Patriots were undefeated. In the media press leading up to the Super Bowl. The Giants defense said that we were going to hold Tom Brady in that offense to 14 points. Tom Brady heard those remarks and laughed. What happened? (laughs) He said that you guys are going to hold us to 14 points and they did. And he had nothing to say after the game. But if you told me that the Dallas Cowboys defense was a really good defense, they're fourth ranked in total defense. They're really good. They can get after the quarterback, Tyrone Crawford. You know, you talk about Demarcus Lawrence, who needs every penny and dime from Jerry Jones because he's a difference maker on that defensive line. Top first rounders like Taco Charlton. And then... The two fast linebackers that can run sideline to sideline. Lighten Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith. These guys are phenomenal. What they can do with their motor and their closing speed is just phenomenal. And, and, then, and then again, if you had told me that the Cowboys were going to hold the Saints offense, the Saints potent juggernaut. I mean, 
these guys just make it look effortless. They go to Cincinnati, they put 51. They go back home against the defending champions. They score 48. They score 40 plus against Atlanta on Thanksgiving night. And you told me they were going to go to Jerry World and Big D and only score 10 points? I'd look at you crazy. But whoa, the Cowboys might have done something interesting. And they might have led a blueprint in how to attack Drew Brees and that ridiculous Saints offense. Three things stood out to me. First of all, I've always said Ezekiel Elliott, most important player on that team. He needs about 20 to 25 touches. Well, they got him the ball. That bell cow, that horse that he is, you got to feed him the ball. Ezekiel Elliott, once in a generational talent from the running back position. As the Dallas Cowboys go, he goes. That's that's the first thing. Second thing, that Dallas defense. You know, I, I thought it was just, you know, just going on some new swings. The level of competition that they were playing weren't really stiff. <laughs> was I wrong? These guys can get after the quarterback. And when they put pressure on you, that helps out that woeful secondary. I still have some question marks and concerns about that secondary. But that front seven is a good, as good as it gets. And I've already named some of the players in that front seven there. And what they did to Drew Brees in that offense is just staggering to me. First of all, when you play Drew Brees and Sean Payton, the different type of personnel and the personnel packages that they present to you schematically for a defense to prepare for is a nightmare. Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, they call themselves Thunder and Lightning. What Dallas did, they have linebackers that can run. They match these guys one-on-one. And I've never, and I mean never, throughout the entire season, seen Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara get bullied like that. And I think they were quite shocked as well. They haven't met a team with linebackers that fast that can run with them and that can keep up pace per pace with them on route running and screens that can chase them down in the run in the backfield I, I think that kind of overwhelmed not only themselves but also that offensive line in in, in the New Orleans sense who's been really good pass protecting for Drew Brees this season throughout all of his success and the Dallas Cowboys not only did that but on offense held the ball for over 36 minutes Time of possession, ridiculous. Drew Brees in that offense only had the ball for 13 minutes the entire game. Dallas Cowboys, over 36 minutes. That's keeping the chains going on third down. That's staying away from third and longs, staying in third and mediums, third and fours, third and threes. Continue to pound and ground with Ezekiel Elliott. Dak Prescott played really well. You see Omari Cooper starting to have the cohesion with Dak Prescott on the offense. And all of a sudden, the Dallas Cowboys, winners of four in a row. Perhaps peaking at the right time. Hey, not saying that they're going to make it far. But so far, if there was any time that you'd want to be playing your best football, it would be in the month of December. And we'll be back here on Sebi's Podcast Show here on WNSC Radio.
Welcome back here on the Sebi Podcast Show here on WNSC Radio. The college football playoffs. The top four. Set. The playoffs, the semifinals will start the 29th. And of course, the championship game will be January 8th, played in Levi Stadium, home of the San Francisco 49ers in the Bay Area. Consensus number one overall, the Alabama Crimson Tide, Nick Saban squad, yet again, looking to repeat as defending champions. Number two, Clemson, Dabo swimming and his team, Travis Etienne running the football very well, Trevor Lawrence, and that front seven. Boy, can they wreak havoc. And number three, Brian Kelly's. Notre Dame fighting Irish. Ian Book. Daxter Williams in the backfield. You know, or Notre Dame is not really your, no, your team that you think that will make one of the best teams in college football. But they are fundamentally sound in all three phases. A guy in Brian Kelly who are on there in the hot seat comes back this season, brings back Ian Book with him as long with Wimbush. Benches Wimbush, starts Ian Book, true sophomore. They go 12-0, find themselves in the college football playoffs. And then the great debate happened. The great controversy. Georgia loses to Alabama. (laughs) Here's the thing. Georgia, and I'm here to eat crow. In the beginning of the season, I had Georgia winning it all. I thought last year, you know, a lot of things went Alabama's way. But I figured that Georgia was still good. You know, they would recycle on defense. They would recycle with the running game. They did lose Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb. That's a lot. That's a handful to recover with. But DeAndre Swift had that type of talent. And you had McCole Hardman that you can run in the backfield along with Elijah Holyfield. And I didn't think that Georgia would miss a beat. I had them, again, getting back into the college football top four in a regular season, making it to the playoffs. They were my pick to win it all. I thought they would avenge Alabama in that championship loss last year, make amends for it. Jake Fromm would finally step up and progress as a starting quarterback. They had their opportunity yesterday. Kirby Smart might have had the most boneheaded call that I've ever seen. It's fourth down. And Alabama is playing prevent zone, knowing that you might pull off a stunt on a fourth down. (laughs) And then you do the most boneheaded thing. You try to run the football or throw the football or whatever the heck you were trying to do. You see, I've always said this. The Bill Belichicks of the world, the Nick Sabans of the world, the Greg Popoviches of the world. These iconic figures, these coaches, these legendary icons, their teams don't beat themselves. If you're going to beat New England, you have to earn it. You're going to beat Nick Saban, Alabama Crimson's Eye, you got to earn it. You're going to beat Greg Popovich at his own game. You're going to have to actually earn it. Their teams don't foot, shoot themselves in the foot. Kirby Smart. I got a lot of love for him. I think he could really coach. 
definitely the answer that uh, Georgia football needs to put. He's been putting this program under the national stage since he's been there. You know, Kirby Smart can coach coming from that Nick Saban tree. Spits 11 seasons with Nick Saban. And they kind of have the same identity, same formula. Smash mouth football, excellent defense. But I believe in you. I don't believe that Kirby Smart actually thought that he could pull off a stunt. Fourth and eight, you know, your defense has been playing pretty well, although Alabama came back and then you pull off a stunt like that. That to me was more of Georgia losing the game and Alabama winning it. You know, you want to talk about the different factors. Two, it goes down. Jalen Hurts as the backup comes back, engineers a game-winning drive, and scores on a 16-yard quarterback call and runs it into the end zone. You want to talk about how Alabama were poised enough to do that? Hey, I'll agree. But that game to me was more of how Georgia lost. First of all, you have a 14-point lead. You let Bama come back, anemic in the second half on offense, you know, not able to pick up first downs and sustain drives. And when you beat in Alabama, you know, you know what they say, you got a chance to beat a giant. You don't let them hang around. You get a sword, you stab a knife on them. They gave Alabama hope. They were anemic in that second half. Hertz comes in, engineers two great, and I mean great, drives to continue the Crimson Tide to come back. And what do Nick Saban teams do when they hang around? Somehow, some way, they find a way to win. So that, that was my first take. Now back to the controversy. And this is where I have a problem with the NCAA calamity. You want to get the best teams in the college football playoffs. You want to get the most deserving. You want this. You want that. There's a lot of inconsistency. And and all of these stuff kind of deviates why I think that this whole 14 college football thing is just corrupt. You know, I've always been an advocate for eight teams. I've said, hey, you want to do two buys the top two get buys and then see the other teams play and play it out that way you know you don't have all of these arguments and things like that i've always said group of five power five the champions get in and then you have three at large bids the three deserving at large bid that way you know there becomes parity there becomes no question as in terms of oh we want to know that we're supposed to get in We didn't get in. Hey, maybe the committee will. Maybe the committee won't expand. That's to be determined. But as in terms of Ohio State, yes, they beat Northwestern. But throughout the season, they've gotten blasted. And I remember they got blasted by Purdue, at Purdue in Indiana. Oklahoma, number four, they got in. A three-point loss in a regular season to Texas. They play them again in the Red River rivalry in the championship of the Big 12. And they beat them. 
and then Georgia that lost a close one to Alabama. There was some talks about UCF, but let's be honest. <laughs> UCF didn't have a chance, especially with McKenzie Millen down. So you're really looking at this pool in the top three. Do you put a Oklahoma team that just won their conference championship that we're sitting at that five seed? Do you slide them to four? Given that Georgia just lost to Alabama, do you give a Big Ten champion in Ohio State the opportunity to get in, even though they got blasted by 20-plus to Purdue? But the Michigan win looks good in their resume, right? Michigan sitting at that seventh spot. Or do you give it to Georgia? Who also got blasted at LSU in Baton Rouge. And then losing to Alabama. You couldn't give a two-loss Georgia to get in, right? And this is where, this is interesting to me. Because let's look at it like this. Is the committee looking at the four best teams? Because I'm not sure if Notre Dame is a part of that four best team. Or Oklahoma. In a neutral site game. If you put Notre Dame against Georgia, Ohio State, or Oklahoma, do you have faith that Brian Kelly's squad is going to win that game? Hey, who knows? They can. Anything's possible. I'm not so sure about that. Are they deserving to get in? Absolutely. 12-0, running the table. They're not your conference champion, but their totality throughout this season, their whole body of work tells you Notre Dame deserves to get in. They're unblemished. They're 12-0. They're unbeaten. That Michigan win looks good, right? They beat Michigan head-to-head at home. Now that looks good. So uh, you're asking this, you know, Georgia, you can't put Georgia in. First of all, they're not a conference champion. They lost their conference championship. They've got two losses. They got blasted at LSU by 20. Yes, you know, all things are created equal. Georgia's a great team. I believe if they played head-to-head against Oklahoma, they would win. Head-to-head against Ohio State, really good game. Close, I think they'd win. Head-to-head against Notre Dame, I think they'd win. Do I think Georgia is one of the best Best four teams in college football? Yes, absolutely. Are they deserving to get in? Not so sure. So I think the committee got it right. No problem that Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma Sooners got in. But moving on forward, this is still going to be an ongoing issue. Are we going for the four best teams or the four deserving teams? And this is where I think it is imperative that we have an expansion soon. A lot of teams will come like this. Kirby Smart, after the game. Well, not after the game, the day, the day after that Sunday, Selection Sunday, seeing that his team not getting a college football playoffs. He says, and I quote, I've seen units and squads lose to Alabama in warmups. We as a team have shown that we can beat them. End quote. You're right, Kirby Smart. You had the opportunity last year 
13-point lead in the championship, you didn't close the business. This year, SEC championship game, up 21-7. DeAndre Swift running the football, very effective. You had two opportunities. You said that your team, and I believe you, but I don't think your team is phased against Alabama. Yet, you couldn't close the deal. So you know what? Although I think this committee's rigged, I have no problem with the college football top four committee. I think they they, they got the they got it right with the four teams that deserve to get in. Not the best four teams. Deserving. And this is going to be a lot of question marks moving on forward. Are we going to get the four deserving teams to get in? Or are we going to get the four best teams? You know how you offset that and not worry about it? Expand. At least to six. At least to eight. See how it works out. Expand. I'm calling out the NCAA committee to expand. And we'll take a short break here. We'll be back here on WNSC Radio. Sebi's Podcast Show. And we're back here on WNSC Radio here on the Sebi Podcast Show. The final segment I want to get on to you guys today is the firing of Mike McCarthy, head coach of the Green Bay Packers for 13 seasons, and to get in some of uh, the Kareem Hunt saga out there in Kansas City. But with Mike McCarthy, head coach of the Green Bay Packers for 13 seasons now, the latter parts of the Brett Favre era, right up to the prime years thus far of Aaron Rodgers, although he's 34 now just sign that massive contract Mike McCarthy head coach of the Green Bay Packers in his 13 seasons one Super Bowl couple playoff appearances a lot of one and dones got into the NFC championship in 2014 we all know what happened they're about to win that game in Seattle muff the football Seattle gets the ball back they take the game to overtime Beast mode, Russell Wilson, the Legion of Boom defense overcomes at home in Century Link and goes back to back to back Super Bowls, squandering the Packers opportunity. Mike McCarthy, since winning the Super Bowl in 2010, what has he done as of late? Nothing. And I think the firing of, of, of him kind of came cause of that. You know, it was one of those things where it was just kind of like. What have you done for me as of late? And frankly, then you could say he hasn't done anything thus far. Aaron Rodgers, the great and the bad man that Aaron Rodgers is. You know, he should at least have more than one Super Bowl. I, I think this is malpractice in the part of Mike McCarthy, Ted Thompson, and that Green Bay organization. Not giving Aaron Rodgers the necessary repertoire and the necessary requirements that he needs to get into a deep postseason run. You know, it, it, this kind of reminds me of, of Peyton Manning. Only winning one Super Bowl as great as Peyton Manning was in all those years in the Dome in Indianapolis. Tony Dungy and 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 and. Uh, that 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 organization only had one opportunity to give him one Super Bowl, right? 
you know, that, that it's just it's just pitiful to think of. And I'm also gonna put this on Ted Thompson, GM for the Green Bay Packers. This does uh, go on him as well. Everybody wants to talk about Mike McCarthy as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Oh, uh, this, this, and that. Um, being the offensive play caller, having Aaron Rodgers um, questioning the play calling as well. Uh, um, I do. And I also want to put this on defensive coordinators as well that he's chosen. But we have to look at himself as well as Ted Thompson. Because when we think about franchises, we think about structure. And it starts from up top. It starts with Ted Thompson and it eventually leads and progresses to Mike McCarthy. You've got Aaron Rodgers for 13 seasons. It's going to a guy that came in a 2005 draft. Landed at 24th overall. He could have been in for a first a round a first round pick of that year. We all know that Alex Smith was that first round pick due to injuries and Rodgers fell to the 24th spot where Green Bay picked him up. Having a talent such as Aaron Rodgers, the great Aaron Rodgers, and that I've lamented numerous times, only having an opportunity to give him one Super Bowl, I think that, you know, it was time to go. Much like Marvin Lewis that I've stated that in Cincinnati, I'm glad that he's resigning that position there because he's been there for 15, 16 seasons and they haven't won a playoff game. Much like that since 2010, when Aaron Rodgers... And Mike McCarthy won their Super Bowl. They haven't done much since. And people forget. Sports is a business. Sports is a business. You know, what have you done for me lately? What production? What have you produced for me lately? And frankly, there's not a lot of things you can say about Mike McCarthy. Do I think Mike McCarthy is a great court, uh, a coach? Absolutely. Do I think that he'll be uh, without a job for long? Absolutely not. In fact, I think that he, there's a lot of other places that are looking for head coaches that Mike McCarthy would definitely be a very good fit for. If not, it won't be long until a team will use him as an offensive coordinator. He's that good of a coach. It just sucks and it's unfortunate. Thus far, with the talent of Aaron Rodgers, not giving him the the requirements as receivers that he need, not giving him a running game or a defense to rely on. Having Aaron Rodgers to rely on his talent alone, individually, can only take you so much. And I look at Ted Thompson, and I look at Mike McCarthy. I think the Green Bay Packers did this well. It's going to be very interesting to see who they replace Mike McCarthy for. Because I do believe it has to be an offensive guy. It has to be an offensive guy because you have Aaron Rodgers. You know, I wouldn't be too shocked that if they do get a defensive-minded coach, because we all know that defense needs help but i i for the fit of green bay and having the all world talent the hall of famer and aaron Rodgers, you gotta get an offensive mind and then when we look on the opposite side we look at this kareem hunt saga kareem hunt we all have seen the videos we all have seen what he's done Kicking, throwing, whether it was slapping or whatever it may be, we all have seen the videos. And what's funny to me is, is TMZ can get their hands on it, but the NFL can't. Oh, they're waiting for protocol before they do investigation, which is mind-blowing to me. Yes, I've seen the video. Quite disturbing, to say the least. Very disturbing to watch. 
you know and this is why domestic violence in the united states here in our society is taking very seriously you know i had the opportunity to be raised by two two great women and that that being my mom and that being um some some aunts and 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 also aunts and other people that i call grandma not my biological grandma but i was fortunate enough to be raised by women i also have a sister as well and you know in a household full of women and being raised around women there's a certain way that you conduct yourself there's a certain way that you have to treat women and seeing that kareem hunt did that was act was was quite disturbing to me and we saw the interview post uh when that story and that debacle came out um with the videotape when kareem hunt decided to have a live interview with lisa salters apologizing for to the chief's organization for lying to them for not telling them the true story for you know not being truthful about what happened not uh you know getting out of character and things like that and and saying that oh that's not who i am as a person basically giving repentance for what he's done and my thing is this man it's gonna be tough it's gonna be real tough it's gonna be real tough for kareem hunt what franchise out there is gonna take a chance to give Kareem Hunt a second chance. On the field, no doubt. I mean, no doubt. I mean, you, you can say that he is a beneficiary of, of Andy Reid's system. Uh, he pass catches Mahomes, a great quarterback, throwing to him what he does on the backfield running, pass catching, pass blocking as well. was a real underrated facet of his game but Kareem Hunt is the real deal on, on the field but I think this is what's going to worry about owners, owners and ownership and, and franchises of the other 31 teams they're going to worry about Kareem Hunt off the field they're going to worry about if this guy has an opportunity to go other places has an opportunity to you know go clubbing and things like that and what, what's sad is, is because the Chiefs didn't want to cut Kareem Hunt. The Chiefs uh, kind of knew about this. They wanted to talk to Kareem Hunt. They asked Kareem Hunt, did he really do this? They asked him about these allegations, knowing that he was being accused by it. Kareem Hunt denied all the allegations. Rightfully so. I'm not sure why. He didn't just tell them. In the best interest of the Kansas City Chiefs, they were looking and seeking to help him, whether that be through therapy, whether that be through consulting, guidance, things like that. If Kareem Hunt had been so naive and so egocentric and actually told the Kansas City Chiefs what happened, this story might have been a different story. You know, I mean, the league would have still came heavy on him. In fact, I, I think the sanction is probably going to be really stiff. At least six to eight games minimum, I believe Roger Goodell and other NFL officials should give Kareem Hunt to serve. 
But what if Kareem Hunt had been so naive and egocentric and actually told the Kansas City Chiefs what really occurred or what really happened? Rather than lying and denying all these allegations. And I think that this is definitely going to haunt a lot of owners being resistant, being reluctant to signing Kareem Hunt. He's not going to be a Kansas City Chiefs no more. The Chiefs already cut him. They released him. Can Kareem Hunt ball? Absolutely. Only 23 years old. What he's done throughout this first three seasons in the NFL, unbelievable. Unbelievable talent. And, and a guy that's 23 years old not even entering his prime yet. His prime years, I believe one of some of his best years are yet to come. But a major, major, major setback like this has a lingering impact, has a lasting impact on a very good player who seems to have a very good career that's so unfortunate that has to deal with this. It's disturbing, man. Ray Rice never had an opportunity again. We've seen what happened with him. You know, perhaps Joe Mixon, we've seen what Zeke Elliott did. He served his suspension. You know, you're viewed upon differently when you do things like this. The, the Greg Hardys of the world. I'm not even sure he's on an NFL team right now. Kareem Hunt, the great player that you are, is going to be viewed very, very differently moving on forward. It's going to be really tough for a lot of owners and ownership to push the buttons, to give Kareem Hunt a second chance for what he's done. And not only that, on top of that, he lied about it. Can't do that, Kareem Hunt. And this is Sebi's podcast.